the image, the view that you have of God is the most important revelation that you'll ever get. And really, until you get that, you can't really begin to understand uh, your place in, in this cosmos, in this world. Uh, remember that Jesus, you know, asked them one time, who do you say I am? And, uh, and they gave him a lot of opinions, and that's what you'll get today when you ask people who Jesus is. You'll get a lot of opinions. Uh, but Peter made that proclamation, that declaration that you are the Christ, that's the Messiah, you are the anointed one. That's what all that means. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, of course, Jesus commended him for that. And Jesus responded and said, you didn't get this from flesh and blood, but my Father revealed to you who I am. And, and because of that revelation of who uh, Jesus was, that he was God, he said, now you are, are Petros, you are Peter. In other words, God told him, Jesus told him, now that he got the revelation of who Jesus was, who God was in essence, then he could receive the revelation of who he was. Because up to that moment, he had been known and called Simon, which was his name, was his surname. But Jesus called him Petros, which means rock or stable foundational force in the kingdom. How many knows it'd be a long time before Peter walked in the fullness of that? Uh, he would fluctuate up and down and even deny that he knew this Jesus. But he did get that revelation. And so what we carry in our hearts, in our minds about who God is how God is, is the most important revelation that we'll, we will carry. Amen? I'm going to let you go ahead and be seated. I hope I get to all six. Now, these first three I'm going to hit real fast uh, because I've already talked about them here. And, um, and, and you should have a good basic understanding of, of what we're talking about. But I'm going to come at it from a little bit different uh, angle. And then these last three uh, I haven't talked to you about before. And I'm going to save the worst one for last. It's really the best one, but it's the one that might aggravate somebody. And that's not my intention, but my heart is just to be true to the Scriptures. And uh, the first one is that God is not angry with you. And that's important for you to live your life knowing that you do not serve an angry God. You don't worship an angry God. And no matter what other preachers tell you, no matter what... Uh, you hear in the news and all those things that we talk about and your insurance policies call an act of God where there's destruction and killing and all this and hurricanes and floods and all these destructive things. God is not the author of those things. And uh, this is still not heaven. Man gave over the authority to Satan, right? <clears throat> and it says that the heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he gave to the sons of men. It says that in Psalm 119 but that God is not angry. And I want to say this, and I want to add this, that God's not angry with you even when you sin. Now, I don't say that to encourage you to sin or to say in any way that sin is not a big deal and just, you know, just have fun and go do it. Uh, that's never my heart, and I've never, even though I get accused of that sometimes, uh, that's never the heart of a grace preacher. In fact, the Bible says the opposite. It says the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. And that's what real grace does. It teaches you to say no because it empowers you to the ability to say no. And so uh, the reason God's not angry is multiple reasons, but the, the big one is that you, you've, God has forgiven the world of sin. Uh, that's what Jesus came to do. John the Baptist, you know, pointed at him and said, there's the Lamb of God. Behold him. He takes away the sin 
not of the church, not of those that confess, not of a, you know, not of a you know small category of people, but he takes away the sin of the world, the cosmos. He takes away sin. That's future sin, past sin, present sin. That's all sin. Jesus accomplished that, and you either you either believe that or you don't. And if you believe that he did that, and when Jesus said it is finished from the cross, he was not lying, then you have to know that includes your sin, even the ones you haven't done yet. So therefore, God's not have, God doesn't have anything to be angry about because he's already forgiven you uh, of sin. You cannot have a God that is unconditional love, and you hear every church confess that. Well, yet you believe God loves unconditionally, and they'll go, yeah. But then if you follow that up, do you believe God has forgiven everybody unconditionally? And then they, won't, they don't know what to say. Because how can you love someone and yet you hold something against them? That's not the definition of love. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, love keeps no record of wrong. And yet how can you have a God that loves unconditionally and yet you say he's got a record of all your sin until you do something, until you confess, until you repent and all that? It's just, it, it's, you see, it don't even agree with the Bible. But that's, but, but, but that's what we were, most of us in this room was raised on that type of messed up view. I can give you so many scriptures, but I'll just name a couple of real quick. In Hebrews 8 and 12, uh, God says, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. I mean, it doesn't get any plainer than that. God says, I'm not keeping a record. I don't have a ledger with your sin account. Your, your, your sin account has a zero balance. Anybody believe that good news? <clears throat> okay, inform your face that you believe that good news. <laughs> Somebody yet like you didn't get enough turkey at Thanksgiving, huh? Uh, Hebrews 10, 17. And then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Isaiah prophesied about the coming new covenant. And he did that in Isaiah chapter 54. And in verse 9 of Isaiah 54, this is what the prophet, he's prophesying about the coming new covenant, the covenant of grace. And he says, for this is like the waters of Noah to me. Now, he's, this is God talking through the prophet. God is saying this is such a huge deal. You know, the, the flood was a worldwide thing. And so God is saying this is in that category. This is like the, like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so I have sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. I mean, it doesn't get any clearer than that. God, when this covenant comes, he says that there will be no anger. He will not be rebuking people uh, for their sin. For the mountains shall depart, the hills will be removed, but my kindness, God says, shall not depart from you. God's never going to remove his kindness, nor shall my covenant, he calls it a covenant of peace, be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. Now, it doesn't get any plainer than that. So anybody that presents or portrays to you an angry God, or God is about to do this, he's about to, I'm so sick of all that stuff. God's about to judge America, you know, for, for, for homosexuality or for whatever sin bothers the person the most. God's about to, why is he all of a sudden about to? What's he been doing for the last 2,000 years? On a break? I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. And these people call themselves prophets. They're not prophetic, they're pathetic. Because they don't, they don't read the Bible. They don't know who, who they're talking about or what they're talking about. And I, and I grew up around a lot of that. God's about to. God's fixing to. You know, and uh, it always made me wonder why all of a sudden God's just mad at one certain generation, you know, one person, you know. Uh, 
2 Corinthians 5 and 19 tells us that, that, that God was in Christ reconciling to himself, the world to himself, it says. Not imputing, that means not keeping a record, not counting their trespasses uh, to them. And he's committed to us that same word of reconciliation. The word reconciliation means to make peace. God was no longer and is no longer holding uh, our sins against us. Okay? Is that enough for number one? You believe me? All right, let's go to number two. God is not separated from you. God is not absent from you. And God is not distant from you. Let me just go ahead and say for the sake of you thinking about this, that's for everybody. That's those that consider themselves Christians and those that don't consider themselves Christians. God is not separated from you. And, and, and we were, we, most of us in this room, most of us that's listening to me, uh, we all grew up, uh, uh, you know, all our lives have long heard this, this lie, that, that, you know, this theology of separation. And, um, and I would say to you today that most Christians believe this is true, and the reason they do believe it is not because they are founded in the Bible, but because they've heard it all their lives. And they describe it like this, that, you know, man sinned, God turned his back from man. Uh, God's so holy, he can't look at sin, so he can't look at you. So God is distant. God's up there, out there somewhere. And there's this great chasm now that was created by sin, this great chasm. And so then, uh, you know, you're divided. So, you know, here's holy God and here's unholy man. You know, here's God and here's sinful man. And there's this huge chasm here that has to be crossed or, or a bridge has to be made. And, they, and then here comes Jesus. So Jesus comes to be the bridge that we can walk across and to get back to God. And basically what we do is we save ourselves. We're our own savior in that theology view. Because unless we turn to God, God don't turn to us. So we're the ones that's calling the shot on salvation, not him. So unless we turn to God, God never turns to us. And then when we do turn to God, people say, then when you turn to God, and then he will turn to you, then when you sin, he turns away from you again. And he pouts, and he don't talk to you, and he don't bless you until you get yourself right. Repent, they call it, and then you, get, you turn back to God, and then God goes, and you say, God, I'm sorry, and then God turns back around and goes, okay, now I'll bless you some more. Until you sin again, and then I'm going to turn around. And we got God sitting in a swivel chair, and it's just wonder how dizzy God has to be with just spinning around with all of our mess. Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point. Uh, that, that's what we were all raised on. Uh, the, the, the lie of separation, listen to me, the lie of separation is the building block of religion. In other words, once you assume separation from God, then you're at the mercy of whatever charlatan, whatever person has figured a way out to get across the chasm. Or you're at the mercy of the group of people that call themselves a denomination that has the inroad, they have figured it out, they have got the formula, they know how to get you back across the chasm to God. And then they tell you that if you're not part of their group or part of their belief system, then you're not going to make it across the chasm because all the other people have got it wrong and we got it right. And so come to our church, come to our, you know, and, and that way we'll get you across. And, and to get across the chasm, there's all kinds of ways that they come up with, religious ways to get you across the chasm. So some say you got to say the prayer. you got to say the sinner's prayer to get across. That's like your ticket. you got to say the sinner's prayer, which is not in the Bible, by the way. 
There is no sinner's prayer in the Bible. Thank you for coming. Hallelujah. I appreciate the amens. There is no sinner's prayer in the Bible. When the Philippian jailer, y'all hear me say this all the time in Acts 16, asked the apostle Paul, what must I do to be saved? Paul didn't say, bow your head, close your eyes, confess your sins. Why didn't he do that? It's what we do in church. Not this church. But that's what we do. That's what we were raised on. You start out from that Jesus didn't accomplish what he did. He didn't take away my sin, and I've got to bring my sin. I'm hauling them up to you for now for you to do something with them. So we're calling God a liar. Hello. Paul, why didn't Paul say, bow your head, close your eyes, confess your sins? Why didn't Paul say, repeat after me? What did Paul tell him? Believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Not only you, but your whole household. Because this is a powerful revelation and it's going to affect everybody in your life. Just believe. That's all you got to do. You ain't say nothing. You ain't say a prayer. You ain't say nothing. Just believe. And if you really believe something, you know what you'll do? You'll confess it. You'll talk about it. You'll say it out of your lips. So, so but they, they say you got to say the right prayer. Or there's, there's folks right in this town. Unless, unless you're baptized by our denomination, you're not going to heaven. That's what they teach. Unless you're baptized the proper way, you know. Now, for, you know, they'll say, well, if you baptize like it says in the Scripture, in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, if you get baptized like that, you're not going to heaven because they said it wrong. They say you have to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ only. And if you don't get baptized like that, then you're kidding yourself, you're not going to cross the chasm. I'm telling you, this is taught right here in Lowndes County. Don't act like you're getting folks is in it, some of you. <laughs> and they think you're going to hell because you come here. Come on, somebody. So they say you got to say the right prayer. you got to be baptized properly. They say, well, you got to have enough faith. If you got enough faith, now you'll be transported across the Great Divide, and you'll be made part of the special people. In other words, uh, you know, you'll be in the in crowd because, you know, the other people are out and you're in now because you said the right prayer, you got baptized properly, you go to the right church, you, you did the right thing. Now we got you across the chasm. <clears throat> but deep in your heart, you're just having to believe them. And how do you know for sure that you're really across or that you're really in? And when you're in, are you in forever or you're temporarily in? Or can you bounce in and out? And see, then it gets confusing. And so if you're separated, and now you're not separated, but can you get separated again if you, if, if you mess up? <laughs> can I just tell you this? Jesus did not come. You, you, were you saying, well, Brother Dale, you, or what are you trying to say here? Are you, are you trying to say that, that there is no separation? Now you're getting it. Are you trying to say there's never been any separation, uh, that God's never separated himself from sinful man? Now you're getting it. That's exactly what I'm saying. So we're not dealing with people that are in or out. We're dealing people with people that believe or don't believe. We're dealing with people that are in the light or in the darkness. Just because you're in the dark, it just means you hadn't, you, you hadn't responded to the light. Jesus did not come to get us unseparated from God. Jesus came to deliver us out of our delusion of separation from God. 
And all through the Bible, it never teaches separation. And you, all you have to do, and I won't take the time to, to unpack all that, Revelation, I mean, uh, Genesis teaches us man sinned. Before man sinned, God communed, fellowship, walked in the cool of the garden with them every day, right? Uh, after man sinned, God never came back. God was mad. God separated himself from sinful man because, remember, God's too holy. He can't look at sin. And now Adam and Eve are rank raw sinners, so God never came back to the planet Earth again. How many don't believe all that that I just said? Because <clears throat> the Bible don't teach that, does it? When man sinned, did God continue to come? Did God continue to seek out man who separated himself from God, his own choice. He hid from God, his own choice. Man did the hiding. Man did the perceived separation. And I know you think you're bad and all, but you ain't bad enough to shove God off. You're not bad enough to stop God's love. You're not bad enough to stop God from pursuing you. God says, and uh, Demetrius mentioned it this morning, leave the 99. It says that he will leave the 99 and he will go after that one lost sheep and he will look for them until he finds them. He's not coming home and saying, I, I couldn't find them, Papa. He's coming home with them on his shoulder and I brought them home, Papa. That's how the story ends, always. <laughs> And just so you know, and I'll teach you about this another time when you can take it, death is not more powerful than God. Death is not more powerful than God. Death does not stop God. We would think we would know that as Christians. The resurrection proves that. But yet we think it does in our theology, but it don't. And that's another message for another time. The only place in the whole Bible that people come up with and say this is their proof text that we're separated from God is Isaiah 59. In Isaiah 59, the prophet of Isaiah is prophesying, and in verse 1, this is what he says is so clear. He said, Behold, the, hand, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, and his ear is not heavy that he cannot hear. So he starts out of the gate saying that God's heart is to save and God's hand can reach you wherever you are to save you. God's going to always hear you. In verse 2, it says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God. God didn't turn. God didn't turn his back on man. God didn't separate from man. That's not what the verse says. It says your sins uh, have separated you. You're the one that did it. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. It's not saying God, he just said in verse 1 that he will hear. But you don't think he'll hear now. And to prove that down in verse 13, the prophets keep talking about all this. And he says, in transgressing and lying against the Lord. This is what people do. They transgress and they lie against the Lord and departing from our God. See, who does the departing? They do. They depart from our God. And what do they do? They're speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the, the heart words of falsehood. God said they're telling a bunch of lies about me. God said they're going around and telling people that I separated from them, which I didn't. They separated themselves from me. They turned from me. All right, and then in verse 16, this is what God said I'm going to do about it. And he saw there was no man. 
and wondered that there was no intercessor, nobody to, 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 to deal with this problem. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him, and his own righteousness, it sustained him. God said, I'll handle this myself. Y'all can't do nothing about it. That's, that's, what, that's all God says. And then the only other place, you know, and they try to use that as a proof text to prove to you that God, that your sins have separated you. Your sins ain't separated from you from God. It's ridiculous. How many knows that Jesus was God, Emmanuel, God with us? Did He hang out with sinners? Did He eat with sinners? Did He talk with sinners? Well, that's God. Don't tell me God so holy can't look at sin. Jesus hung out with them. Habakkuk, this prophet, he, he prophesied, and he goes into this prayer deal, and, 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 he, and, he, and he had the same opinion that a lot of people do today. He felt like God's so holy can't look at sin. And he actually says, Habakkuk 1 and 13, he said, God, your eyes are purer uh, eyes than to behold evil. In other words, you're so holy you can't look at sin. He says, and, and you cannot look on wickedness. And then he says, why do you? He says, your eyes are purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you? Why do you look on those? <laughs> he just says, Habakkuk says, you're too holy to look at sin and look at sinners. And why do you do? Why, why, why do you do it? And why do you keep your, your, your tongue held when wicked people devour a person that's more righteous than he? He says, I want to be rewarded according to what I do. He had a messed up view of God. Do you know that nobody in the Old Testament had ever seen God? That's what it says. Nobody saw. Moses didn't see him. Uh, David didn't see him. No, they, I didn't see God. We, we never got a good view of God until Jesus came. And then Jesus said, when you've seen me, you have seen the Father. You, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then the last little thing, a little caveat I'll throw in here, then they, these people that teach the theology of separation say, well, God turned his back on his own son on the cross. And that's, that's, just, that's just blasphemous. I thought, I already read to you, God was in 2 Corinthians 5 and 19, God was in Christ reconciling the sin of the world to himself. How do you turn your back when you're in him? And they go, well, he cried out, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? He's quoting out of Psalm 22. And, and, and you can reach your own view of that, whatever. But, he, but Jesus knew that he was not being forsaken by his Father, and it says it in the Bible. In, in Psalm 22, it starts out that God says, my God, he's quoting this, this, this psalm to the people, to the Jews, so they know that he's that Messiah they've been looking for. And in verse 24 of Psalm 22, he says, For he has not despised, talking about God, nor hated the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. Nor has he hidden his face from him. Nor has he hidden his face from him. Jesus knew that God would not hide his face from him when he was on the cross. But when he cried to him, he heard him. It's in the Bible, y'all. Jesus knew that his father was not forsaking him. In his humanity, some say, in his humanness, the real flesh of flesh, in his humanity, he tasted and drank and Jesus crawled in to flesh. Jesus didn't, didn't, he didn't become human. He was human, but he didn't just come become human. God didn't become human. God became, took on flesh. God became flesh. See, that, I hope that means a big deal to you because when you hear the church use the word flesh, it's always in a negative connotation. Well, I'm sorry for cussing you out. I was in the flesh. 
I'm sorry for committing that sin. I just got in the flesh. I'm sorry for, for acting like that or eating that much. I just was in the flesh. Whatever your flesh deal is, you're talking about, man, this flesh here is giving me some. But the Bible said in, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, means face to face with God. And the word was God. And then on down in John chapter 1, it says, and the word became flesh. Uh, that's the word, that's the Greek word sarx, S-A-R-X. That's the, he crawled into the, to the, to the, to the, to the, to the flesh, the flesh that, that we deal with. He didn't just become anthropos, human. It does not say in the Greek that the word became anthropos, an, the human. No, it said he became sarx, flesh. And that's a huge deal because God crawled inside of Adam and became Adam to save Adam. And he's so much so that he's so identified with Adam and his blindness and his hiding from God and his wrong view of God that it says that Jesus was called the last Adam. Man, that's some good stuff right there. Number three. God, if I could tell you something, I'm, I almost want to just write this in, like in a letter form to my grandkids and just leave it with them. And so this is what Poppy wants you to know, especially when Poppy's gone from here. That's what I want y'all to know. Number three, God, God is not alone. God is one, but he is not one alone. God has never been alone. The reason this is so important, that if you only have one, if God ever existed by himself, if there was none other, in other words, if there was not the Trinity that we all say we believe in, then if God has ever been one by himself, then you have no basis at all for love or relationship. Now, the Bible says God is love. God does not do love. God is love. God is relationship. God does not do relationship. God is relationship. And we see that demonstrated in the garden when he come into, into, to, to, to hang out with Adam and Eve, if you want to say it that way. Now, 1 John chapter 5, verse 7, and there's a ton of places I could go, and I've taught a whole sermon to you on the Trinity. But it says in 1 John 5 and 7, for there are three that bear witness in heaven. How many that bear witness in heaven? Three's not one, is it? There are three that bear witness in heaven. And then it says the Father, that's God the Father, the Word, that's Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. That's the white dove, the bird that flies around. I'm, I'm teasing. They're all God. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And it says these three are what? How many? These three are what? One. So three, one plus one plus one equals one in the Trinity. To speak of God as anything other than one is to do disservice to God. We don't have three gods. We have one God. We have one God, but those three manifestations are one. Now, if, if listen, if God is alone... In other words, I told you that when I used to think about God walking in the cool of the, of the day, whatever, with Adam and Eve, you know, I only saw three people in the garden. I saw Adam and Eve and God. Now, when this hit my heart years ago, now I see five. I, I said, I see five. 
And there's so much teaching I could do on the Trinity to try to prove that to you. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God. That is the Hebrew Elohim. It is the plural form of God. It literally is in the beginning, God's created. Plural. And all you got to do is read on down in chapter 1, and God says, let us make man in our image. How many knows us in our is not one? If it's just me and I say, well, us, we're going to go somewhere. You're going to think I'm a nut. You know, we, no, if God said let us, who's he talking about? He's talking about the word, the spirit. And I told you in, in when it says that God came in the cool of the, the day to walk with us, the word there is ruach. Not, not six o'clock in the evening when the sun's going down. The cool of the day, the South Georgia people. It's, God came and walked in the spirit of the day. It's literally wind, the breath of God. The ruach is God. That's what that word cool means. Translated, they translated it cool, very poor English translation of a Hebrew word. It should read, in, in, and in the spirit of the day, God came and walked with Adam. He came and walked with them. Now, if God, listen to me, is alone in his isolation, then there's nobody else to love until he creates somebody to love. Right? So that means God is not love. That means God, uh, love, in other words, God is, love is not part of the essence of who God is, the, of what makes God God. So love is not the, the essence of God. Love is an add-on, something that he does, and he only does it once and after he created something to love. That's weird. That, that's not the way it is. Or if God is alone and God does love, then there's nobody to love but himself. And that's scary because that's narcissism. And that means everything that God does is based on, you know, him loving himself. And he created you so he could feel better about himself and for you to give him some praise and love on him so God would even feel more like God. And Paul cleared that up in Acts 17. He said God is not worshipped with human hands as if he needs anything. I told you the old church, you say God's God all by himself. But God's not by himself. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. And in that relationship that the, the Trinity has one with another, that mutual submission and love and adoration for one another, then we are invited into that relationship. And so God does not do relationship as an add-on. This is the part that I missed big time as a young Christian for decades. I missed that part because I, I would try to accept that God is love, and I didn't really think about it deeply as I've just described it, but I didn't ever even think about God uh, as relationship being just as important as, as love is. In other words, God is love because the Bible says that, but it, there's not a verse that said God is relationship, but that relationship is throughout the Bible. And, and so I, I saw relationship as something as like an add-on. So that meant that I thought that God didn't care so much about relationship as he did about moral perfection. So that meant I thought God cared more about what I do or don't do than he did about relating with me as an individual person. And that's where I missed it big time. And now I don't think about God in terms of, you know, that God's, you know, about moral law. I don't see sin as a violation only of, of a rule or breaking a moral law of God. That's not what sin is all. Sin is something much worse than that. And I told you sin is more, and Jesus described it, and it's more like a sickness. 
It's like a fatal disease. And like I told you, you can't beat a fever out of a baby. You can't, you can't take somebody with cancer and lock them in a prison until the cancer goes away. It just don't work that way. That's why they need a, a, a physician, a great physician. They need healing. They need life. And, and, and that's, how, that's how the Bible uh, approaches it, that, that, that they need life. And in fact, when the Old Testament view of sin, the picture of sin was somebody dying of leprosy. And it was fatal. And if they didn't get a cure, the leprosy is going to destroy them. And it eats away at them and destroys them. And, and, and so, you know, but Jesus came and what did he, first thing he did in the old covenant, you told, they told not, you can't, don't touch a leper. You'll get leprosy. But Jesus comes, first thing he does is touch lepers. And, 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 and Jesus don't get leprosy, they get what he's got he healed. <laughs> New sheriff in town. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's a whole different. Amen. And, and so, uh, you've got to see God as the triune God that he is, okay? And you're a part of that relationship. You're a part of that fellowship. Man, it's wonderful. Number four, God is not moved by magic. God is not moved by magic. This is not abracadabra. This is not open sesame. You know, the magic that I'm talking about is not card tricks or stage illusions. I, I, I'm talking about People that use rituals, symbols, actions, behavior, incantations. You say, well, people don't do incantations in church. Oh, man, you weren't raised in church. I was raised in. We incant, we incant it all the time. We would say, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. That's an incantation. We would say, I plead the blood. I plead the blood. I plead the blood. That's not in the Bible, by the way. That phraseology, and it's not in the Bible. But people, somebody happened, or somebody act up, or a demon is short. Oh, I plead the blood, I plead the blood. Hey, have you heard this stuff besides me? That's an incantation. You're saying if I say the right thing, if I say it often enough, fast enough, you know, loud enough, then it'll work. Right. It, it, it'll work for me. That's what I'm talking about. That's, that's, that's God responding to religious magic. Uh, uh, the, the interaction with God in that kind of a, a deal is not relational, but is transactional. Do you know what I mean by that? In other words, we're not, we're not relating to God based on who he is and the essence of who he is. We're, 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 our, our, our interaction with God is transactional. If we do the right thing, then the transaction will happen. It, it's, it's, it's religious magic. And it's religious magic, listen to me, that believes that God is a God who has to be coerced into doing something on your behalf. And if I do the right thing, we think, if I say the, the prayer exactly right, if I, if I articulate the prayer properly, or, or, you know, this one right here, now you'll know this one. If I get enough of people to pray with me about this deal, then God is obligated to respond in a certain way. Well, how many you got to get? What's the magic number? Is it five? What about 55? What if I get a thousand people to pray? Is God, did God have to answer then? What if I get a million people to pray? And I see it every, every week on Facebook. Oh, we need to get everybody to pray. We need to get this prayer chain going. Let's get as many people praying as we can. Because if we get enough signatures on the petition, then this distant, uncaring, Judge will have to respond then. 
if we get enough signatures. Man, it is quiet in our Presbyterian church this morning. Don't send me no email. I love the Presbyterians. It's a vain attempt to be funny. That breaks my heart so bad that you think God's like that. That you would have to get petitions. That'd be like me as a dad. My kids, are, when all three of them were small, and they come in there, and I'm sitting in the easy chair, and Justin, my little fellow, he comes in there and said, Daddy, I, I want something to eat. I just don't respond to him. So he said, well, Daddy's not going to respond to me. So he likes my sister. I don't, but let's just say his view of me is he likes Kristen better than he does me. So he goes and gets Kristen. And, and then they both come in there, and she comes in there and with him, and they both say, Daddy, Justin's hungry. Will you give him something to eat? And I'm asking you, and ju- you know. And then Justin says, I'm, I'm praying to you, Daddy, get me something to eat, and I'm praying in Kristen's name. And I still ignore them. And then they think, well, you know what? If we need another signature here, if we can go get, you know, the baby, which is Austin, that's the baby. You know, that's the baby of the house. That's the youngest one. Let's go drag him in here. So now they're all three in there. And that was the magic number. Now when all three of them got the signature on the prayer, then I'll get up and help Brother Justin out. How would y'all say if that video of my parenting skills was viewed by you? Would you think I was a good dad? You think I'm a pretty sucky dad, right, if I did my kids that way? Why do you accuse God of worse than that? Why why do you accuse Father God that you got to get, he don't love you, he don't care for you, he don't want to, unless you get enough signatures on your little prayer list. What makes you think you got to get a hundred people to pray about this just because it's urgent to you and you're in a crisis and you don't think God's moved by love. You think he responds to your magic, to religious magic. You can tell, buddy, that that comes up raw in me because that is a messed up, blasphemous view of father. You think I'm a better dad than him? You think I would dare put my kids through such stuff? My response to my kids is out of love. Not because they got enough signatures on the prayer chain. Are you saying we shouldn't have a prayer chain? I'm not going to say you shouldn't have a prayer chain. Ain't nothing wrong with getting a bunch of people to pray with you. But if there is something wrong with it, if you think you got to do that to get God to answer you, because you need to find you another God then. Well, that's a pretty sorry God. It's going to require, and, and I'll tell you this, you don't see him as a father, so stop lying. And don't ever pray Father God, because you don't, a father, that's not the way a father behaves. You see him as a judge. Now, that's the way a judge does, or a politician, or you've got to get enough signatures. Yeah, that's how you see God. So just, won't you just admit how you see God? Don't, don't tell me you see him as a loving father, because you don't. And if you do pretend to see him like that, you don't trust his goodness, and you don't trust that he cares and loves you like a son or a daughter. That's a pretty bad dad. And see, the, the, you know, if I do the right thing, if I say the right prayer, if I get enough, I mean, religious people really rely on two kinds of religious magic. And, and this is where people ain't going to like this now. They're gonna, they ain't going to like this, but hey, I'm the guy for this. This is what I'm wired to do. 
But the, the two kinds of religious magic that these people use is the first one involves, and they will use the term, the proper, they will use the term faith. Faith. And the second one is based on performance. Uh, the, the, the view of God is because, or this view of God is because we neither trust God's goodness nor God's love for us as an individual. And so this is how faith magic works. We, we you know, because we, we've been taught now with faith magic, we, we should be able to remove, you know, to move mountains, raise the dead, heal the sick, get rich if you need money, or, you know, have a baby if you're praying for a baby. Well, I mean, it should work. It should work. And then what the problem is that if it don't work or if it goes wrong, then you either got to come to some kind of conclusion of why it didn't work and why it, didn't, why it went wrong. And then there'll be people that will always be there to help you, you know, Job's comforters, I call them, but they'll be to tell you, well, you didn't have enough faith. Or if you had enough faith, it would have worked. Or if you did have faith, you didn't have an, enough faith and you didn't exercise your faith properly. Or, or I, No, I, I tell you what, I, I, I think I know what it is. There's probably sin in your life. This blocking God's provision. If you, you just need to confess, it's probably because in your background, uh, you know, that you, you know, in your family, you know, tree and all, you was a Cherokee Indian descent. And you know how them Cherokees, they'd be doing all that voodoo and stuff. And so, you, you know, you need to confess your iniquities of your family tree. And that's why your son has a heart condition is because in your past you had a grandma hut toe that was full-blooded Cherokee Indian. And that's why your youngest son has acute myocardial uh, problems in his heart and, 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 and hypertrophic heart problem and so you need to come to the church and I'll meet with you and you can confess your iniquities of your forefathers and you can repent of their sins that they did and then maybe God will heal your son and all that bull crap I just told you was done to me and was said to me and I was dumb enough to meet that preacher at church and try to get delivered so that my little boy Austin could be healed. Because I just wanted my son healed. So I tried religious magic. And I got on my knees and I confessed all the sins that I don't even know nothing about. <laughs> I don't know what my grandmama Hutto's grandparents did. And I, I didn't know he had to pray. I said, well, I'm sorry for having Cherokee blood in my background. I guess that's got me blocked up here some way, spiritually. Please forgive me, Papa, for that. You see how pitiful that is? <laughs> Don't that break your heart? And I lived it. And it makes me so mad today that I was dumb enough to swallow that poison. You know, and I did everything they told me to do, and still my boy didn't get healed. And he told me, you know, if I carried him here or carried him there, and I carried him here and I carried him there. And, and I'm not saying that's wrong, and, and my heart was sure pure, and I had Bill Johnson. I carried my son to Bill Johnson from California, Redding, California. Great man. I love, I love, you know, God bless that ministry. It's just amazing. I've seen a lot of people healed. I drove my son to find out when Bill Johnson was going to be in Alabama, and I drove my son there 
and I bypassed all the other prayer peoples, and I walked my son straight to Bill Johnson himself and had Bill Johnson to pray for my son after I told him what was wrong with him. And he's, you know, he's 18, 19, 20 years old. Didn't we do it, baby? I, but in some essence, I don't know that I wasn't trying the magic button. I thought if this guy prays, you know, God won't hear my prayer, and I've sure prayed for him and it didn't work. So maybe this guy, God will hear this guy because this guy's closer to him than me. That's a lie. There's no, I'm closer to God than you are, or this is God like this tree, and so put, some people are real close, some people's all up in the tree, and then some of us are way over here. And so you have to get somebody closer to God than you are to pray for you. Oh, get that brother in the church. Matt, guys, close to God, brother. Get him to pray. I was raised on that. And the Bible says, this is the two positions. You were once unbelieving. You were outside the commonwealth. You didn't know God. But now you do know God because you've responded to the light of his love to you. And so you were once far away from him, but you've been brought near to God now by the blood of Jesus. You, so it's like you're in the building. There's no closer to in the building. You all, do y'all know that all of y'all are in the sanctuary at Grace Point Church right now? So please don't waste any time praying to be closer to the sanctuary than you are now because you're in it. You see how stupid that would waste your time praying to be closer to the sanctuary? You're in it. If any man be in Christ, in him, Christ in you, are y'all getting this? How are you going to pray to be closer to Jesus when, when you in him and he's in you? Do you see how dumb that is? I'm not, uh, it's a dumb act. I'm not saying you're dumb, but we're dumb to believe those lies. That's why people don't, don't invite me to their church because they know if I go in there and preach and, as a visiting preacher, I'll tear that stuff up. And I don't get invited no more. Because they are scared of me because I speak in the truth. <laughs> I speak the truth. I'm not going to play the religious games no more. I have been set free. This room is cleansed. <laughs> I'm sorry. Not really. The second kind of religious magic is not what you call faith. And let me just say this before I leave faith. It's never been, and Jesus never taught that you don't have enough faith. Like you got 10 pounds of faith, but really for this prayer to be answered, you need 20 pounds. So you, don't have, you need more faith. Disciples got confused and said, increase our faith. Jesus said, that's not what it's about. He said, if you got faith as little as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be removed, and it'd be removed. Another time he said, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted, cast into the sea, and it will obey you. And what Jesus is talking about, listen, your faith is not about the quantity. Your faith is about quality. Your, your faith is nothing. It don't matter how much faith that I put in, in, in that tree because the, the object of my faith is messed up. I can pray to the tree. I can sacrifice to the tree. That's the way idols are. And that's what the Bible teaches. It's, not, it's, it's about who you put your faith in, not how much you have. If your faith is aimed at anything other than Jesus, you, you, you're messed up, man. That's why Jesus told that woman he called her a dog that's trying to get her daughter healed. You remember that deal? 
That's why he called that woman a dog. And it wasn't like, what's up, dog? He wasn't doing that. He just said, you a dog. And you can't purdy that up. When Jesus went by, she cries out, son of David, have mercy on me. You've heard me teach this. Son of David. She's evoking the Jewish religion. She's evoking Judaism. She, she's using religious magic. She wants to go abracadabra, kaboom, my daughter's healed. Because I said the right words. So Jesus is passing by. She is in a desperate crisis but with her daughter. And so she uses an incantation. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. She's quoting Bible. She is accurate in scripture, but she is wrong in her use of it. What does Jesus do? It says he answered her not a word. He ignored her plea. If God ever ignores you, it's not because he don't love you. He's, he's trying to bring you to faith. He answered her not a word. She bugs the disciples, make him answer me, make him talk to me. The disciples come to Jesus, let's send this woman away. She's aggravating us. Every time that they would turn her away, she cried even louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. Disciples, you know, after they tell Jesus this, he stops and he says to them, they said, Jesus, she just keeps you know, crying out. Jesus says, it's not right for me, not proper, it's not right for me to give the children's bread to the dogs. She heard him. Man, that's got to cut you deep. That's got to hurt. Because you're not even there for yourself. You're just there for your daughter. You're just trying to get her healed, man. You don't care. You don't care how it comes. You don't care if it's a Baptist dude, Pentecostal, charismatic, Nazarene, tangerine, sin of God. You just want, her, you want your daughter well, man. That's all you're after. Not right for me to give children bread to the dogs. That's the most offensive thing you could call somebody in biblical times. She said, yeah, you got me, Lord. You were right. And, what, and the connotation of that, what she knew is Jesus busted her lie, her religious magic petition. Jesus is saying you're not Jewish because the Bible goes to great lengths to call her the Syrophoenician woman. In other words, she's not a Jew by birth. She is a Gentile. Yet she's trying to evoke religious magic and use a Jewish incantation to get her daughter healed. Are you with me? And, and uh, so Jesus says, that's why he said the dog thing. He wasn't being mean. He, he was trying to say, listen, stop coming at me like you're a Jew because you think the only way I'll respond to you is if you come through religion or if you say the incantation properly or by your birth. And too bad for you, you weren't born Jewish, so you don't get no blessings. Jesus said, I can't let you. That's not faith. That's not faith in the goodness of who I am. So you're not a Jew, so stop fronting. You're Gentile. She said, you're right, Lord, you got me busted. But even the dogs, man, get the crumbs that fall off the, t the table. Jesus, one of the only time, he only did it one other time. The only time that Jesus ever looked at anybody and said, great is their faith. And he wasn't saying, you got a pile of it. He was saying, you're, now you're getting it to the right person. He said, woman, great is thy faith. Go your way. Your daughter is made whole. All Jesus was trying to do was get her out of the incantation, religious magic stuff. And he said, you ain't got to do none of that, girl. Just put your faith in my goodness and in my love and my concern and my compassion 
for you and your situation. That's all you got to do, girl. Just come and put your faith on the right thing. You was putting your faith in Judaism. You was putting your faith in Jewish religion. You was putting your faith in saying the proper incantation. Stop all that, man. Stop. Stop all that religious magic stuff and just come to me because I'm God and I'm good and I love you and I created you and I'll heal your daughter if she's a Gentile just as quick as I'll heal a Gentile because in him there is no Jew, there is no Gentile, there is no Greek for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Come on and give God some praise for that. That's the truth. Can I get my deacons to turn the air? Something I can perceive in the spirit that there's people this freezing. <laughs> See how prophetic I am like that? <laughs> I love you guys. So you don't get this everywhere. You don't get this everywhere. All right, second kind of religious magic is performance. If I do the right thing, if I read my Bible, say my prayers, if I pray long enough, if I get up at 5 o'clock and pray in the morning instead of praying at 5 o'clock in the evening when I feel better, but that way I'll be sacrificing and God knows I'm sleeping. I'd rather be in the bed. But if I get up at 5 a.m. and pray, then that makes my prayer more powerful because I'm, you know, working on my flesh and I really want to be asleep, but I'm going to sacrifice because I read a book that said a man got up at 5 o'clock in the morning and he prayed a lot and the Lord answered his prayer. And then I read where another man prayed a lot. His name was E.M. Bounds, and he had two holes where his knees prayed by his bed, and he got a lot of good stuff from God. So if I do all that like they did it, and if I pray like they did, and if I get up in the morning, and if I do that, then God's going to be more obligated to answer my prayer because I'm sleepy, and I really wanted to be asleep instead of praying. But I sacrificed. Performance magic. Can I tell you I lived that for years? Can I tell you I set my alarm clock for 5 o'clock? For, for years. Can I tell you, I crawled out of the bed at 5 o'clock, and at 5.30 a.m. for many months, I was uh, at my church. I had a key to the church. I was one of the, they called it a pastor's council, be like an elder. And I would get up and leave my uh, warm bed, and I would go to the church, and I would be uh, kneeling at the altar at 5.30, and I had to be at work at Tifton at 8. And I would pray for an hour, and I'd pray hard. And, and I'd have to walk and pray because if I knelt, I was so sleepy, I'd fall asleep sometimes. And I'd wake up over the altar, and I'd oh, God, please forgive me. Uh, that, that can't help you, help you there, you know. I did that for a long time. I would fast for days, and then thought if I fasted three days and I didn't eat any food, and I prayed a lot, then when I went to church that Sunday, then God would drop the bomb on us. And I spent years, there were years that I didn't even go to the pulpit on Sunday unless I had fasted. Performance, magic. Brownie points I thought I was earning. And then I'd get so frustrated when it didn't work like I wanted it to. And I didn't know God was not like that. He, did, he don't respond to that. Uh, God's response it's not because you cross all the T's or dotted all the I's. God's response, many times, I've seen God respond when I thought I was very poorly performing that week. <laughs> when I hadn't prayed very much, I hadn't done much, and I didn't fare very, very spiritual. And the truth be known, I didn't even want to be at church preaching. But I had to since I was the pastor. And I've seen God just bomb the place with manifest presence and had no rhyme or reason as to why. And that was confusing because I didn't earn it. I thought, what's he doing confusing me? Well, I didn't do nothing even to earn it this week, and here he's blessed everybody. 
Can't figure God out. I've seen God move in spite of us, in spite of performance, in spite of what we've done. Listen, God, when he responds, he's motivated by one thing, and that's his love for you. And he's not responding based on your performance or your skill in prayer. I know you can pray powerfully. <laughs> and I know you can say all the right words. But God don't respond to that. i got to do this real quick. I'm running out of time. God is not, number five, God is not controlling you and, or, or, in, or in control of your actions. God's not controlling you. You know, you will hear it all the time, and that's a whole other thing, and I put it in the first chapter of my book. You know, the myth, God's, you know, don't you know, worry about it. God's in control of what happens on the earth. God is not in control of what happens on the earth. You are. Me, you and I are. We don't understand the respect that God has for our freedom. Now, I want to say this to you, and i got to do this quick. Jeremiah 29 and 11 is one of the most abused verses in the Bible. And we use the NIV because we like how it reads better. And the NIV says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper, not to harm, to give you hope in the future. And we use the word plans there because the NIV uh, used it. They translated a Hebrew word, uh, plans, and, and, uh, and we like that, so we hang on to that. And we quote it like that's in every translation, and it's not. The New King James says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. And that is more accurate translation. God says, I have thoughts towards you, and those thoughts about you and for you and towards you are not evil. They're not to harm you. But, but, but we, we take that one verse there, and, and we, we say, well, God's got this perfect plan for my life. And, 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 and if, listen, if God does have a perfect plan for every second of your life, of every day of your life, if God has a perfect plan already planned out, in other words, if God went to the cosmic drafting table and he has drafted a plan for your life and he has every second of every minute of every hour of every day planned out on that cosmic drawing board of your life and mine, then that requires a perfect response to his plan. And if, if that is true, then God is left to react to our stupidity and to our blindness and to our darkness and to our stubbornness when we constantly violate by our decisions his plan, perfect plan for our lives. Because our lives have not been perfect. Nor has our decisions been perfect. And I'm going to go ahead and prophesy that throughout the next seven days, every decision you make will not be perfect. I told you he's going to love this. That's not God. What's your plan for you when you married your spouse? What kind of plans do you have? Do you have every day wrote out? Every minute, every day, how they was going to behave, how they was going to respond? How you, did you have, how'd that work out for you? What about your plan for your kids? As a parent, you have kids, what's your plan for their life? Are you going to make them? Are you going are you gonna, are you gonna to force them into the family business? I mean, in whatever business you're in, are you going to make your kids do the same thing that you do? To be the same business in type business? If, if, you're, if you're a lawyer, uh, are you going to force your kids to be lawyers? Force them, I mean. You know, that's, that's your plan for their lives. Hey, don't act like this ain't real, y'all. Because people do this all the time. Oh, you mean you're not gonna you're not gonna be a lawyer like your dad? My God, what are you thinking? No, I want to be an artist. I oh man, you have starved to death, son. I tell you what, you better. Okay. What, what, what? 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 What if that's not the way it is with God? What if God's even better than all that? You ain't got no plan like that for your kids. You don't 
pour some pigeon. You know, you got to do this. But what, what, what about you just plan to have a relationship with them, with your kids, with that spouse? And, and what if God's like that? And what if God just allows you to come into this relationship that he has with Father, Son, and Spirit, and you're invited into that relationship, and, and, that, and that God is going to allow you and, and invite you to co-labor, to co-create with him, and, and he's going to submit to your choices, and he's going to keep loving you even if you make wrong choices, and, and, and whatever choices you bring to the table, God's going to be right there in the middle of it. And, and, and God's plan for you is this, that he is not going to be... Uh, uh, working on anything other than that, that in other words, God wants everything that's not of love's kind, that's not of love, God don't want any of that to remain in you. And God's working with you day by day, decision by decision, and God's not controlling you, God's not coercing you, but, 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 but God is allowing those decisions you make. And everything that God does interacting with you is based on redemption. And God will redeem your worst stuff and bring out of it life. And, and, and he don't want you to do some of the stuff we've done, but he's right there in the middle of it with you. Because relationship, and God knows this, he's really smart. Relationships, I don't know if you know this, they're very messy. And they're very fluid. And you can't have it all planned out. You, you, you don't have it all planned out. You don't know what's going to happen. And, and that's really the way it is. And so you go, well, wait a minute now, wait a minute. Now. I thought God was sovereign. By the way, sovereignty and all that, it's not even in the Bible. But okay, well, that's another time. But the word sovereign's not in there. There's no verse that God is sovereign. Uh, but he is, but not in the sense that the church has told you he is. Now, but, but, but so if God, how does God reign then, Pastor Dale? How does God reign if not by control? Well, he does it by being who he is, which is love and relationship. That's how God reigns. God's not a communist dictator. He doesn't use weapons. He doesn't shove people around. He doesn't force people to do anything. If he does that, he's no better than any uh, you know, communist ruler. So that's not who God is. God submits uh, uh, to us rather than controls us. Who, wants to, who, who describes in a relationship? Well, I'm in a relationship with my wife, Jill, and she controls me. Or here's another one. I'm in a relationship with her, and, and she uses me. I'm just glad to be used by her. Hallelujah. <laughs> who wants to be in a relationship? That's not love. Love does not control. Love does not use. Love does not abuse. God is love. God does not control you. God does not abuse you. And God, no matter what the church has told you, will not use you. God will invite you to co-labor and participate in wonderful things of the kingdom, but he will not use you. God didn't make you to have another robot to do something for him. Come on now. Last one. I got to quit. Jesus did not come to earth to start a religion called Christianity. I want you to know this about God. Jesus did not come to earth to start a religion called Christianity. God is not a Christian. I say that for shock value to get your attention, but God is not a Christian. Any amens on that? Or, or you think God's a Christian? What about if I say this, God is not a Muslim? Oh, you'll amen that one, right? God is not a Buddhist. God is not an atheist. How many of you want me to give you? God is not a man. God is not a woman. God is not any other category that we have invented to confiscate God and bring his blessings over to our side. To bring God over to your ledger. 
and claim you got him and nobody else does. Let me give you the background on Christianity, and you've heard me talk about this over the years. The word Christian is only in the Bible three times. It is never, we're never told in the Bible to call each other Christians. We're never, to, we, we're never in the Bible or to take that as our identity. I know I'm not going to eliminate it from our culture, and that's not my point. My point is this, but, but, but you don't want to go into a Muslim nation and say, Do you, would you like to be a Christian? Could I pray with you to be a Christian? Because they're going to chop your head off. When I went to Bulgaria, which borders Turkey, which is Muslim, and in Bulgaria we had a lot of Muslims that would come to, to, to where I was preaching in, in the Bible school and stuff. But I was told uh, by you know, the, the apostle there, you don't do that. You will not be successful here. You can say, do you want to know about God? And they do. The Muslims want to know about God. But they don't want to pray a prayer to be a Christian because Christians have been killing Muslims in that part of the world for eons. Okay? Christians and Muslims have been killing them at war. That's from another religion. They don't, want, they don't want a religion. They want to know Papa. Okay? So, so the, the word Christian was used as an insult in the early church. And it was meant to demean them and categorize people. And it, it literally means little Christ and it, it were many Messiah. It was, it, was a, it was a derogatory term. And, 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 and it was meant to, to say that these people are so rebellious, they're separated themselves from Judaism. And, and the, the church at Antioch, or the people of Antioch in, in, in history are known for labeling people and mocking them. And, and, and that's when the Bible says they were first called Christians at Antioch. And the, the people at Antioch, they, they made fun of people of political parties, like the Herodians. The I-A-N-S at the end means you're part of that group. So Herod, Herodians, that's a political thing. Or the, uh, the Caesareans, or the Americans, or the Floridians, or the Georgians. Or, you know what I'm saying. I mean, you see what I'm saying? We, we even bring that in our culture. Now, uh, Peter is the only one that mentioned the word as an apostle. He said, if anybody suffers as a Christian, that's 1 Peter 4, 16, let him don't, don't be ashamed, but, but, but glorify God in this. Don't, don't be ashamed. Because they said, well, we're suffering. They're calling us Christians. We're suffering. And uh, then one time Paul stood before King Agrippa, and he was told him about his testimony. And King Agrippa looked and said in Acts 26, 28, he said, you almost persuade me to be a Christian? It was a question. He was mocking Paul. He was like, how dare you try to make me a Christian? Paul didn't say, yeah, I'm trying to make you a Christian. Paul didn't say, yeah, I want you to be a Christian. Paul didn't, Paul didn't say nothing about Christian when, when King Agrippa said that. Paul said, I wish you'd be like me, minus these chains I'm in. In other words, I want you to know Papa. I want you to know God. And so if, if we think a Christian is someone who started on the outside, prayed the right prayer, now we're on the inside, and now we're separated, and we got all these divisions and denominations, that's, that's, no, that's not who God is. God is not that. Uh, can I say this statement to you? Listen, I'm about done. Christianity is not the way to God. Jesus is the way. Did you hear me? Christianity is not the way to God. Jesus is the way to God. Re religion, by definition, is people-based, not God-based. I looked it up last night on Google. It's got to be right. And I typed in religion on Google, and I wanted a definition. And this is what it said. A personal set, notice people, starts with people. A personal set or institutionalized system of beliefs and practices. That's what religion is. 
Can I say this to you? Now, you, you really, some people are going to really get aggravated with on this. God is not American. God is not an American. See, it's going to get real quiet here. Pray for him, Pastor Keith. I'm going to need it right in the next couple minutes. God is not an American. What if I said God is not French? You know, God, yeah, God, God, God's not these things. God, God's not Russian. God's not Ukrainian. God's not Chinese. God is not that. Hang on now. Get your hand off your knife. God is not Republican. God is not a Republican. God is not a Democrat. God is not blessing your politics. God is not on your side and against their side. God don't take sides. God's not a politician and God is not political. Philippians 3 and 20 says that for our citizenship is in heaven. We are all citizens of heaven. That is our citizenship. That's the only place that our papers, we're, our citizenship is in heaven. And by the way, the word citizenship there is the Greek word, and I'll try to pronounce it and I won't do good, but it's polityama, polityama, where we get our word politics from. It literally says, for our politics are, is in heaven. That's what the word means in Greek. Our politics, the word translated in English, citizenship, is that Greek word that we derive and get the word politics from. That's your only politics. And you run around and say, I'm a Democrat, or I'm a Republican, or I'm an Independent, or I'm a this, or I'm a that. That's, you're claiming wrong citizenship. I'm not saying you shouldn't vote. And I'm not saying that there's a lot of people get in, in politics for good reasons with good intentions to make good changes. And, and so I'm not, I'm, I'm not, you don't, don't care me where I'm not going. I just don't have time to unpack this like I want to. But I'm telling you that, 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 that Jesus warned his disciples in Mark 8 and 15, and he warned them, he said, take heed and beware of the leaven. That means the teaching of the Pharisees and of the teaching or leaven of Herod. Herod was the politics, the political system. Pharisees was the religious system. Jesus said, I warn you about what they're teaching. I warn you to be aware of that. Don't get caught up in the teaching of the, the, the political system or the religious system. That's not the way. Jesus said, I warn you about that. Now, I want to tell you what I've seen, and it's gotten worse, worse in the last uh, some years. There is a dangerous mix of patriotism nationalism and religion and they've all wrapped their arms around one another and they've stamped it and called it God and it is a dangerous mixture not only for this nation but for any nation that embraces the very things that Jesus warned us against we've got to stop confusing this thing nationalism patriotism and listen I love America and I've been outside the country a few times and there ain't no other place I live and God bless America I mean I love America but even in America there are things that are evil and wrong and in every nation you'll find that in the political system and people want to be involved because a lot of times they, they're fearful and they're they're afraid and, and if I don't do this and somebody else will be involved and, or they're, they're fearful and they want to control things and, they, and and there's people that do it for the right reason and there's a lot of good comes out of a lot of different different governments and stuff, but God is not in your government. 
God is not, God doesn't sit on a, uh, God's not in a democracy. You, you ain't going to go to heaven and vote God out. God ain't running for nothing. And he ain't running from nothing. Isaiah 9 and 6 says this, the prophet. Isaiah 9 6 says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. That's the only government that God's involved with is his. God's not blessing your political party. God's not on your side. God's on his side. The Bible says when the prophet cried out in the old covenant, he said, who is on the Lord's side? He didn't say, who y'all want to invite the Lord over to your side? He said, all I want to know is who's on the Lord's side. And he said, if you're on the Lord's side, it's time to move to his side. Because his side's the only side that counts. Now, you got to stop hating people. you got to stop all this mess that some people, even in the church. I, I didn't read the articles. Some people sent me stuff. I don't have time to get everything you send me because I had to work for a living. But... Charisma has been running several articles, and I don't even take Charisma, but they send emails. And, and where they said one of the reasons that I did read the little subtitle that so many pastors are resigning today in American pulpits is because of the hatred and division that the political world has caused even in their own congregations. And they just can't deal with it no more. And they're leaving the pulpit. It's according to that article is what it said. I read just a few bylines, and I said, that's enough of that. I ain't got time for that. <laughs> our citizenship's in heaven. Our politics is in heaven. And, 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 and we live our lives from that realm. And, 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 and so God, uh, I, I want you to know though about him, that, that he, he, he didn't come to earth to divide people, to start a religion, even if it is called Christianity. Well, are, are you a Christian, Brother Dale? It depends on what your definition of that is. I have to hear a very detailed definition of what you say before I go, yes, I am that. If you mean I'm, I'm divided and I hate everybody else and I got it right and everybody's got it wrong and, 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 and they're out and I'm in, and, and, and no, I'm not that. But if you mean by being a Christian that I want to be like Jesus and I want to have a heart of peace and I want to love everybody and I want to do what Jesus did and I want to model the life he did, then that's, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll sign up for that. I mean, if you just need to, if you need to get a label on me, if you, if you need to label, if you need to label me, but you know, let, let me, I, I'm over time today. Please don't be mad at me. Two, two, two minutes. Howard says, all right, so it's all right. All right, listen. Where the Bible says in Revelation, I think it's 12th chapter, for the accuser of the brethren has been cast down. The word accuse there. Is the Greek word that, that means categorize. What, what this country wants to do with everything is get you in a category. Rich, poor, middle class. We want to we get a label on you. White, black, Hispanic, 
Latino. We've we got to get you labeled because we don't know how to deal with you, man, until we can get a label on you. We've we got to know what category to put you in because your diversity is troubling. Your, your, your heart, see, and we, are you Baptist? We won't get a label on you. Baptist, oh, I can hang out with a Baptist. Yeah, Baptist, okay. What about holiness Baptist? Oh, wait a minute, now, you didn't say holiness, you just said Baptist. Holiness Baptist, I don't know what that is. You see what I'm saying? Pentecost, oh man, you guys speak in tongues and act crazy. I ain't, mm mm. We'll hang out no Pentecostals. Or charismatic, or this, or that. I mean, see, listen, we, we, we're trying to get a label on somebody. What if, what, what if we don't do that? What if we don't major on what separates us, but what, what is the call that brings us to Jesus? What if all this darkness of the political and religious systems and all that stuff could be, could be driven out where we could just see Papa and see his love for us? And that's why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to say, he didn't come to earth bringing a religion. Hey, here's a religion. I want y'all to jump on this, and we got it right there. But mm -mm. He, he, he didn't. He didn't do that. And, and, and it's taken me all my life to get to this place to see the relationship that Father, Son, and Spirit have one with another. And then the fact that I've been invited into that. And I relate to God because God relates to me and He loves me and He does have a plan. But man, I have sure screwed it up a lot of times with my decisions. But He's always been right there in the middle of it with me. And I can look back and I testify to you that He's been right there. He's right there in the middle of it. And I made some very bad decisions before. And, but He didn't ever abandon me. He didn't forsake me. He did just what He said. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I won't leave you alone. I'm in there with you. I'll crawl in there with you. And you build, you build your worst torture machine called the cross. And it wasn't my idea and I didn't want it. And I didn't want to climb on it, but this is your this is how you're gonna do. But I'll crawl into your humanity and I'll crawl into your flesh and I'll turn that most vicious, cruel, torturing machine into a symbol and an icon of my grace and love. And you'll love it so much you'll wear it around your neck as jewelry. And you'll bowl, you you'll you'll wear it around and you'll 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 build giant ones. I, you big these these churches that put up these giant crosses, these big, you know, you can see them from miles away. And every time I go by one, like, man, these people spent some money to do that. And, it, and it's an icon. It's, it's a monument of that God will take the most vicious, like that picture that cross, that most vicious symbol of torture. And he turned it around and said, you know what that does now when I see that? Gives me hope. There ain't nothing so bad, so dark, so evil that God won't crawl into it for me and come after me. Amen. Come on, stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Come on now. Thank y'all for letting me drag you past 12 a minute, okay? Y'all okay with that one Sunday every now and then, ain't you? Tell me, because I'll go home and worry about it if you don't tell me I was okay. You're going to be okay. Okay. Y'all going to join Howard and say, it's all right if we... Because all I did is help get all the Baptists out your way. When you get to the line, now you'll get the fresh chicken. They'll put it out for you. I love the Baptists. Don't send me no emails. I get in so much trouble with my mouth. Don't I, Jill? Okay, don't witness. Hallelujah. I love you guys. Uh, this is a great time of year. It really is for the holidays because a lot of people become more open to hearing about the Lord, I think, during this time. Uh, I'm really looking forward to, you know, not this Wednesday, but the next one to be, be here together. Hey, if you guys have got questions for us like we were doing last time, we love it. At, you know, uh, and Pastor Callaway, he'll be down here with me, I hope. But, uh, you know, send those questions ahead of time if you can. That gives me a little time to think about them, and I can do a better job answering them. But we'll take them off the cuff that night again. Have me enjoyed that format we did the other night. Um, and you just ask the questions, and I'm real comfortable saying I do not know.